Good morning. So, uh, we are starting a new series today on the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you want to follow along in your own Bible, I encourage you to do that. You can start making your way to Ecclesiastes right now. It, it's in the Old Testament. It comes right uh, after the book of Proverbs. In a moment, we're going to read a significant chunk of text from this book. But before we do that, I want to prepare us just a little bit. Um, you may be surprised at what you're about to hear if you've never read Ecclesiastes before. Ecclesiastes sounds negative and cynical and depressing. So steel yourself for that. It is appropriate that it is a dreary, rainy day today as we are looking at Ecclesiastes. Uh, but we have to realize that this is a perspective that God wants us to hear. These are holy observations, however sad they might be. Second thing that we should know is that Ecclesiastes is part of what's known as the genre of wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs. And the point of wisdom literature is to help us to understand the world and God. Sometimes we approach the Bible and we expect that everything in the Bible is going to be like this command for us, and it's not like that. And wisdom literature in general is not like that. There are places in wisdom literature where there are commands, but generally speaking, wisdom literature is about observing the world and then describing it. And there is, of course, a sense in which wisdom literature guides our lives, because if somebody is able to look at the world honestly and describe it and then tells it to us, we can allow those observations to shape the way we live. At the very end of this book, there's a verse that says, the words of the wise are like goads. And I think that's a good verse to, to start with before we read this book, this one that comes at the very end. What is a goad? Well, a goad is a tool that's used to direct livestock. It's this long, uh, sharp, pointed thing. And uh, you use it to make sure that you know, the, the cows or the ox or whatever go in the proper direction. And so what wisdom literature is supposed to be like is like a long, pointy, pointy stick that tells us, helps us to go in the right direction, helps us to go in the right course. And like any long, pointy stick that's you know, uh, knocking into you, um, it's, it's uncomfortable. You know? And the book of Ecclesiastes is uncomfortable. It's like the words in it are like goads, but that discomfort is there for a reason. It's there to provoke us and move us in the right direction. All right, so let's get into this. Starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, I will say a quick prayer for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, uh, even when it's challenging. And we pray that this morning you would help us to hear in these words exactly what you want us to hear. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work through them and we pray that we would be open to hear whatever it is you want to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. 
The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning into the sea. Yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has enough of seeing, never has enough of seeing, <coughs> nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone has, who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. 
in days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Amen, right? <laughs> this is not the kind of stuff that goes on Christian bumper stickers. Maybe it should, though, right? Especially if you have a nice car. This, too, is meaningless. <laughs> or on your cubicle at work. Work is grievous to me. But what are we supposed to do with these words? If these words are goads that are supposed to prod us in a certain direction, what direction is that? Depression? Despair? Well... Yes and no. Not exactly. In order to understand what the teacher is saying here, we need to identify the meaning of three phrases that you hear repeated throughout these words. Uh, you, may, you might have noticed there's a couple of phrases that come up over and over again. So, first one, meaningless. Meaningless. That word comes up 11 times in what we just read, and many more times throughout the book, right? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Some translations say vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Now the actual Hebrew word here is the word hevel. And the word's a little difficult to translate, but the literal meaning of hevel is vapor or breath. And so what the teacher is saying is that all human activities are vapor-like. If you went outside on a cold day and you exhaled, the teacher would say, that exhalation is a good metaphor for your life, right? Because it's fleeting. After it's gone, no one remembers it. And there's an emptiness to it. There's no substance to it. If you opened up a box and all that was inside was vapor, you probably wouldn't say, oh, look, vapor. You would say, it's empty, right? There's nothing here. Our activities are like vapor, and our lives are like vapor. The teacher says, there is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Quick test. Raise your hand if you know the first names of both your parents. Keep your hand up if you know the first names of all four of your grandparents. Keep your hand up if you know the first names of all eight of your great-grandparents. Keep your hand up if you know the first names of all 16 of your great-great-grandparents. Okay. 
So <laughs> this is the teacher's point. Even for those of us who are blood descendants, three, four, five generations later, we don't even remember their names. Second phrase that we see repeated throughout this book is under the sun or under heaven. I counted that phrase one or the other nine times just in what we read this morning. And again, it appears throughout the whole book. And what is the purpose of this phrase, under the sun, under heaven? The purpose is to emphasize that the teacher is talking about the physical world. Okay? Not heaven, not the spiritual realm, but the realm under heaven, the realm under the sun. The world that we can experience through our five senses. And the teacher looks at that world and he feels this profound emptiness. One of the reasons that I think Ecclesiastes is so relevant for our culture today is because there are many people who believe that the only thing that exists is the physical world, what is under the sun. That's the way that if they lived during the days of, that Ecclesiastes was written, that's the way they'd, they would describe it. All that exists is what is under the sun. And that philosophy is called materialism. Plenty of, people, plenty of people today are materialists, and they don't even know that that's what, it, what it's called. But it's the idea, everything that exists is matter, stuff that can be measured and experienced through the five senses. So that means there's no, there's no spiritual, there's no God, there's no angels, there's no demons. And by the way, there's no lasting version of you, right? Because you die, and then your material body decomposes, and if all there is is the material, well you are gone. Your material body is gone. That's that. And many people who have this materialistic view of the world just kind of go about their business without ever thinking about the ramifications of that, the significance of that. And the book of Ecclesiastes says, you need to think about this. Right? You need to think about the futility and emptiness and meaninglessness of this world if all that exists is the physical, if the only thing that exists is what is under the sun. And then the third phrase that we see multiple times is chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. I saw this one four times in our, in our passage. And this is the one that I think requires the least explanation. If you try to chase the wind, how successful are you, you going to be? Are you going to be able to hold anything in your hand and say, look what I found, look what I caught? No, right? It's, uh, what the teacher is saying is that all of our human activities under the sun are like trying to grab onto something that cannot be grabbed onto, something that cannot be held. Now, this reminds me, okay, I'm going to get a little weird and personal here. Um, when I listen to music, I often have imagery that appears in my head, um, my own mental music videos. And I wouldn't go so far as to call them visions. I think that's a little, giving them a little bit too much credence. But I have mental music videos. And for over a decade, probably like 15 years, whenever I listen to Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, I get a certain mental music video. And I've listened to Where the Streets Have No Name many times, and so I've had this, it's become more refined over the years uh, in my head. But the vision that I have in my head goes something like this. 
There's a guy who wakes up and he starts going about his tasks in the morning. Uh, this all takes place really fast. He's brushing his teeth, getting his suit on. And then in his house, he sees this little uh, ball of light, you know, kind of like Tinkerbell or something like that. Uh, and it's just floating. And he's like, oh, what's that? And so he reaches out to grab it, and it just it moves a little bit. So he can't, he can't grasp onto it. And he's like, oh, what's that? And so he goes after it again. And then it flies out the window. And so he's like, well, that's weird. And so he gets in his car, like he's going he's gonna to start going to work. And then he looks in the rearview mirror, and he sees it fly back around and go to the front of the car. And so he starts following it in his car. He's driving faster and faster, trying to catch up to it. He can't catch up to it. And, and then he has a choice. Is he going to go down the, the highway towards work, or is he going to follow this little ball of light off into the desert? And he's, he's trying to make up his mind, and whoosh, he goes off into the desert. And so he rolls down the window, and he's, he's trying to put his hand out. He's, he's pushing on the accelerator, going faster and faster, and he's trying to catch this little ball of light. And every time he reaches out and he gets close to it, it just zip goes ahead a little bit. So he can't grasp onto it. And so it, it pulls ahead of him faster and faster. He's pushing the accelerator down more and more and more. And this, this goes on for a while until, boom, one of the tires blows. And he goes skidding, and the, the car you know, whips around. And then he, he stumbles out of the car. The airbag's gone off. And he looks in front of him, and there's the little ball of light. It's stationary, like it's waiting for him, like it's teasing him. And so he reaches out for it again and does the same thing, shoots forward. And so then he starts running, and he runs faster and faster, and he's pulling his tie off, and he's taking his dress shirt off, and, and he's, he's, he's really trying to catch this little ball of light, and his hand's out as far as he can reach, and he just keeps pulling ahead. Just when he gets close, just when his fingers seem to be on the edge of it, it flies ahead. And this goes on for like the last 30 seconds of the song until the drums drop away and the edge is playing that guitar riff that you know, keeps circling round and round. And what we see is he's run right off a cliff. And he's in slow-mo, he's falling. And that's where it ends. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying that life is like, right? We work and we toil and we try to find meaning and significance and satisfaction, but all of it remains just out of reach, right? And in the end, we all tumble over that cliff. Now, many people today will hear what I just said and say, I find meaning in life. You know, this world might be all there is. I don't know. It might be all there is. But I don't have a sense of despair, you know, because I find enjoyment and meaning in my life, you know. I pursue my hobbies and my goals. I, you know, have fun on the weekends. I go to the movies, that sort of thing. And there's enough meaning in all of that for me. I don't need any more meaning beyond that. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes would say is, you're deluding yourself. Because sure, you can find meaning in doing your work so that you can get a paycheck, right? And you can find meaning in that paycheck because that paycheck will help you pay the bills and you find meaning in existing and surviving, right? And maybe you get that paycheck and now you'll be able to buy some things you want and you find meaning in those things that you want because those things give you some pleasure. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes say, says is you have to look at the big picture. You can't just look at the moment by moment 
uh, aspects of life. He says in chapter 2, verse 22, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? What does he get for all of it? That's what's important is that little word, all. What do we get for all of our life's work? What do we get for all of our striving? What do we get for all of our searching, all of our chasing after that little ball of light? You know, what do we get for all of our attempts to gain love and status and power? What do we get for all of it? The cliff, the grave. If all that exists is what is under the sun, that's it. And the teacher is not just some guy who needs Zoloft. Okay, the teacher is someone who's honest enough to look at the big picture. And many of us don't want to look at the big picture. And Ecclesiastes says, you've got to look at it. You've got to think about it. The famous atheist, Bertrand Russell, he once said, the center of me is always and eternally in terrible pain, a curious, wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains, something transfigured and infinite, the beatific vision, God, I, I can't explain it or make it seem anything but foolishness. And the teacher would say, amen, Bertrand. You get it. I feel that curious, wild pain, too, that longing for something beyond what the world contains, something other than everything that is under the sun. Now, if you doubt what the teacher is saying, he wants you to know that he's speaking from experience. He's a wealthy guy. He's been a king in Israel, and he's an old man. He's looking back on his life, and this is a guy who has been able to experience everything that the world has to offer, at least everything that the ancient Near Eastern world has to offer. And he's tried to find meaning and satisfaction in all kinds of ways. And they're the same kinds of ways that we do today. There's nothing new under the sun, right? I think he's very, very relatable. He's tried to find it by being intellectual, right? Yeah, he says that he's, he's pursued wisdom. Uh, but he says that the more he's learned, the sadder he's become. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I think there's a sense in which that is definitely true, right? The more we learn, the more we open our eyes to the realities of the world, the more hurt and pain we see, the more, the more acutely aware we become of how, of how broken and fallen the world is. You know, if we're looking for satisfaction merely in intellectual pursuits, merely in gaining knowledge, we come up short. He's tried to find meaning and satisfaction by having fun. I call this the college freshman approach. Right? He's tried it by goofing around, by drinking, by embracing folly, as he puts it. That's what every college freshman says, right? I think I'll try embracing a little folly. <laughs> but all of that felt purposeless. He's tried to find meaning and satisfaction by accomplishing things. Right? And, and I feel like this is usually the trajectory of someone's life. Like when they're young, they're like, I'll try embracing folly. I'll, I'll drink, I'll party, I'll have a good time. And then they're like, you know what, this is, this is a little empty. I'm going to try my hand at doing some things. I'm going to accomplish some things. 
And so that's, that's what the teacher does, right? He, he undertakes all these, these projects. He sets these lofty goals, and, and he achieves them. He builds these beautiful houses and gardens. You could say he had his five-year, 10-year, 20-year plans, and he actually fulfilled them. He made them, and he fulfilled them. He's tried to find meaning and satisfaction by gaining wealth, right? He's, he's acquired servants and musicians and herds and flocks, He's tried to find it in sexual pleasure. It says he's, a, he's gained a harem. He, as he puts it, he's enjoyed the delights of the heart of man. But he, as he looks back on all of it in his advanced age, he thinks all of it is vapor. All of it is a chasing after the wind. What I really long for, I haven't been able to find. Well, the, what the teacher is saying here actually reminds me a lot of a quote from the great theologian Jim Carrey, who said, I think everybody should get rich and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You know, like Jim Carrey, the teacher has gotten it all, and then he realizes this is not the answer. And I think this is the point where we as Christians, we really need to pay attention. You know, as Christians, theoretically, we believe that there is more to life than what is under the sun. But many of us still think that what's going to give us satisfaction is something under the sun. We live our lives thinking, if I just had blank, then my life would have meaning. Then I would be satisfied. Right? If I just had that job, if I, if I just had that spouse or that family, if I just had that degree, if I just had that house in the country or that boat, or if I just had a six-figure income, well, then life would really be satisfying, and I would feel like I'd made it, and I'd feel like my life was meaningful. But Ecclesiastes tells us, no. No, no, no. If you're looking for something under the sun to fulfill you, to give you peace and joy and significance, you're looking in the wrong place. That's not how it works. You know, what you're thinking of might look like this beautifully wrapped gift, this beautiful present, but he's guaranteeing you once you open it up inside his vapor. There's a, a biblical word for something under the sun that we look to to give us our sense of satisfaction and meaning. And that word is idol. And Ecclesiastes says, don't idolize these things. Right? Recognize them for what they are. They're fleeting, transitory, vapor. What Ecclesiastes describes so powerfully is something that I like to call the holy ache. The holy ache. Bertrand Russell had the holy ache, right? Jim Carrey recognizes the holy ache. And the holy ache is the longing in our soul for something that the world, the external world, just can't give us. Now, many people go their whole lives ignoring or suppressing or denying the holy ache. We try to numb it with drugs and alcohol and sex and work and food and vacations all the stuff that the teacher tried to numb it with. We might even try to numb it by telling ourselves, well, what I'm doing is going to bless the next generation. 
All the work that I'm going to do, I'm going to be able to hand that off to the next generation. And I think that's a pretty noble way of trying to find meaning and significance of the various options. But did you notice even that the teacher says isn't good enough, right? Remember when he said, uh, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. See, we could put all this time and energy into our work, but we don't know if who is blessed by that next is actually going to use it well. You know, any of us who are parents, I'm sure, recognize that, you know, you can love your kids well, you can do your best to train them and teach them, but there's no guarantee that they're not going to squander what you've given them. We don't know. So what Ecclesiastes is telling us is whatever you do to numb this holy ache, you got to stop it, or at least stop trying to numb it for a moment and feel the holy ache. Let it in. Let it bubble to the surface. Feel it. Acknowledge it. Because it's a good thing to feel the holy ache. I hope we, we feel the holy ache right now. This morning, as we're sitting here, I hope we feel it. And as we're feeling that holy ache, I want us to hear these words from the Gospel of John. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. See, it's not until we feel that holy ache that we hear Jesus' words here and we say, Yes, yeah, I want that. I'm thirsty, and, and none of the springs under the sun are giving me the water that I need. My throat is dry and parched. I need the living water that only you. Can give me. Notice how he says he has water that he can give us that will flow from within. See, so often we're looking to find the water out here, under the sun. And he says, what I have to give you is going to flow from within. Hopefully, what I'm about to say isn't uh, TMI. <laughs> but um, most of you know, I've, I had a cold for several months. And my allergies have been bad, too. And I'm doing better, but for several months, <clears throat> I would get so congested at night that I couldn't breathe through my nose. And you guys probably know what happens when you can't breathe through your nose at night is your mouth just dries out, right? It's so annoying. And <laughs> multiple times over the last few months, I've had dreams where in my dream, I'm looking for water. And my throat is just so, so parched. And then I find water. I find like a cool, a refreshing looking glass of water with condensation on the outside. And I reach out to grab it and pour it down my throat. But there's just air. I expect that cool, refreshing splash. And it's not there. It's just air. And it's so disappointing. And that's what it's like when we look to things under the sun to satisfy us. We tip that glass, but there's just air inside. 
And Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to realize that before we spend a lifetime looking for water in the wrong places. Nothing under the sun can satisfy our thirst, but Jesus says, I can. Is anyone thirsty? Let's feel the holy ache, turn from our idols, and turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, deep down, each one of us has a holy ache. We have a desire for something more than what the world can give us. Lord, our our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So, Lord, I pray if any of us here have never turned to you, that we would come to you, that we would stop looking for water in the wrong places and turn to you, the source of living water. And if any of us do know you, but we're still looking for water in in the wrong places, help us to realize what we're doing. Help us to realize that it's a fool's errand. And help us to find rest and satisfaction and meaning in you. In Jesus' name, amen.